Thank you, Christy. He had to put you on the spot, didn't he? <laughs> so I'm gonna be honest with you. My mom rattled me a little bit this morning. Don't take much for that to happen. But anyway, um, <laughs> mom, don't be mad at me. <laughs> but we're standing out there on the porch and mom comes up to me and she said, I need your help. And I'm like, okay, what's up? She said, I'm dead. I'm like, what? <laughs> So according, according to the credit report, she is dead. Mom, you're the best looking dead woman I've ever seen before in my life. I hope I look as good as you when I'm dead. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just got me, it's got me a little bit baffled. But this morning we're here, we're here for the purpose of remembering. Remembering specifically what Jesus has done for us. And this morning as I woke up, I mean, I had a lot to uh, think about over this week. Uh, this past week, guys, I'm going to be honest with you, this past week was, a, was an amazing week in ministry, to say the least. Um, this week, me and Aaron got to minister to many college students. Me, Aaron, and Keaton got to go over to Young Harris College and minister to a lot of college students. Also, Wednesday night, we got to kick off um, our Wednesday nights back off. I'm always excited when Wednesday nights get kicked off. Monday morning, I was invited to be at the primary school to get to minister to teachers, to pray with teachers. It was a great day. Also, right now, many of you have been asking, where's Jerry at? Jerry did not leave. Jerry is at Chop Oak. Did I say that right? Chopped Oak. Chopped Oak. Jerry is at Chopped Oak uh, preaching homecoming to one of the churches, first churches that, uh, um, that he pastored. But also, it's been one of those weeks where it's been a little bit tough. I'm going to be honest, I was a little bit rattled by the death of Mike Richards. Um, Mike Richards was very instrumental all through 2020 in my life. Mike Richards would continually call me at least once a week, just say, hey, I know things are chaos, but you're doing good. Keep on going. And it really, it really hit me hard to hear of his passing. Um, many of you know that he was, a, he was a, um, one of our Gideons, the president of our camp here at the Gideons. Absolutely loved his heart for the gospel. Absolutely heart, loved his heart for the Bible. Um, also, um, got to minister to Joey and his family. I'm so sorry. At the same time, so relieved because I know it's been a difficult couple of months for y'all. Um, I know me and Joey, every Sunday, has shared with me about the struggles of what his grandmother was going through. And, and we are able to be thankful this morning because of a profession. A profession of Jesus as Lord and Master. But there was also some experiences that wasn't so great. This week, I got to experience car rider line again. I don't know about y'all, but when I get in line at the school, every bit of Jesus leaves me. <laughs> Anybody else have that problem? So, uh, one of our bus drivers has that problem. My mother-in-law has that problem. Now listen, you may not have that problem in car rider line, but you've got that problem somewhere. Maybe it's Walmart, maybe it's Ingalls, maybe it's at a ball game. But for some reason, there's places that we enter that every bit of Jesus leaves you. But at the same time, um, had some interesting conversations with my boys through car rider line. I love getting to spend some time with them. And honestly, guys, it's been one of those weeks this morning where I look back and I said to myself, I'm thankful to be a pastor. I'm thankful to be your pastor. 
I'm thankful for the opportunity that I have to minister to y'all, to pray for y'all, to love on y'all, but also to see y'all grow. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch all these things happen. And this morning, before we even go into the Word, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5 for those who want to know and go ahead and turn. I just felt like this morning, instead of reading the Scripture and praying, I just felt like we need to open up in prayer. Open up in prayer for true thankfulness for what God has done for us. He's done some amazing things. He helped my nephew get over the collapsed lung. He's helped teachers get over some, a very traumatic situation. He's helped families who are grieving the loss of loved ones. And this morning, I just want to invite you, if you want to, come join me. And let's just give God a prayer of thanks for everything that he has done for us this week. And not only that, a prayer of thanks for us just being able to be here. So anyone who will, come join me right now. Father, one of the words that comes to my mind is wow. It's been one of those weeks, Lord, where I've just seen your hand everywhere. And I know, Father, that we can see your hand at work every day in our life. The bad thing is, Lord, that we're not, as, we're not as open to seeing it as we should be. And Father, this morning, not only as we get ready to dig into your word for a few minutes, but as we get ready to, to partake in the Lord's Supper, communion with you, it is my heart this morning just to let you know how thankful I am for you. The things, Lord, that you have done for me are indescribable. The merit and favor that you've showed me, Lord, is undeserved. The life that you've given me, Lord, I truly feel unworthy. But Father, that's what mercy and grace is. It's given us the things that we don't deserve and sparing us from the things that we do. And this morning, Lord, I am so thankful for the life that you've given us in you. Father, I'm thankful for the comfort that you brought to so many families this week, Lord, who lost loved ones. I'm thankful for the healing, Lord, that you've brought to so many in hospitals and even at home. I'm thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to help bring comfort to so many individuals, whether it be in college or in school this week. And so, Father, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you allowed me to do what I do. But Father, I ask that you would help us all to be 
more aware of these opportunities every day. Father, we can choose to see you or we can choose not to see you. That choice is up to us. But Father, when we choose to see you, choose to see your hand at work in our lives, all we can do is say, wow. Father, I am truly amazed at what you have done this week. This morning, Lord, we do praise you. We do praise you through our songs. We do praise you through our prayer. And we also praise you through the proclamation of, our, of your word. And Father, we just ask this morning that everything that we do is honoring and pleasing to you. But we also pray that you would help us, Lord. Help us to dig deep into your scriptures, to see what it is that you want us to see, to hear what it is that you want us to hear, and to understand the true value of what comes from your word. Father, I'm more thankful than anything for the redemption that you've given me. And we know that this only comes through your son, Jesus Christ. From the blood that was shed for our sins to make atonement for our sins, Lord. Even coming to you in prayer is impossible without Jesus. And this morning, Lord, it's through his name that we boldly come before you. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me. Most of you know that we've been traveling through the word of the book of Hebrews. Absolutely having a love-hate relationship with Hebrews because the more I find out, the more dumber I find out that I really am. You know what I'm talking about there. But today, before we start and get into communion, um, somebody said to me that they love seeing the communion tables out front this morning. I said, why is that? They said, because it means a short sermon. I was like, hmm. <laughs> and he's not lying. But this morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about pastors, priests, and Jesus. Pastors, priests, and Jesus. Because the scripture that we're starting to go into, we're going to start talking about the high priest. And there's a lot of confusion about what the high priest really did and how Jesus assumed this role of a high priest. I heard one gentleman uh, preach this one time, that the modern day pastor has taken the role of high priest. Brothers and sisters, the modern day pastor is in no way, shape, or form a new version of the high priest. Never, nor was he ever supposed to be. The modern day pastor is often compared to the Old Testament high priest, but scripturally, they are extremely different. I am not a high priest, nor is anyone else on this earth a high priest. And the scripture that we're talking about today is going to start digging into this a lot. So today is more about informing you, informing you about what the role of the high priest is, about what my role is not, but about how Jesus has come and taken all of that on himself. And I am thankful that he has done so. So if you will, we're going to break this up a little bit. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter five. We're going to dig into the first four verses and then we'll come back and hit the last uh, six at the end. 
But in, Rome, in Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 1, it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is beset with wickedness. And because... <clears throat> Because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sin as for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. In the first part of this, it talks about what the primary role of a high priest is. And while there are a lot of similarities between a high priest and a prophet, we got to understand that a pastor can never fulfill the role of what the high priest was supposed to do. But first, let's talk about its similarities. It says that the, the high priest was appointed on behalf of men pertaining to the things of God. In the same way, pastors are the same way. We are appointed by God. We are appointed to oversee flocks for concerning the things of God. But that's as far as it goes. The high priest had three things that he needed to do. He needed to know God. He needed to know his standards and he needed to know his heart. And that's important in the role of ever pastor today. But one thing that the high priest didn't do, that pastors do many of, is the high priest preached very, very few sermons. Very few sermons indeed. Not only was he appointed, he had to be a man of compassion. It says there in verse 2 that he had to be a man who would uh, deal gently with the people because he himself was beset with sin. And in this, we need to be sure that we understand that what he is saying here is that this was a man, a man who knew men. Not only did he know God, he also knew men. He knew his failures. He knew his weaknesses. And he even knew himself. We talk about this often, and I'm not going to dig into this, but I really do not understand why it is that people put pastors on such a high pedestal when they are on set with the same sin, the same temptation that everyone else is. They are not given an extra measure of grace. They're not given more confidence. They're not given anything. They are exactly what the rest of the people are. They are human. They're susceptible to sin and they can and they will fall. Well, the high priest was much in the same way. He was a man who had to offer sacrifices for himself. And we'll get into this here in a minute. Offer sacrifices for himself because he himself sinned. All throughout the Old Testament, we see accounts of high priests who failed. We see accounts of high priest children who fell, which tells you that it's not just the pastor's kids, so leave them alone, okay? <laughs> leave them alone. But it's not just the pastor's kids who fell. The high priest kids fell. Your kids fell. But this person, this individual, he must be a person of great compassion so that he can deal gently with the people because honestly, 
He knows what it's like. It also goes on to say that he must be called by God. When I look back at my life, especially in my earlier years, if you were to have told me that I would be a pastor, I would have laughed right in your face. This isn't exactly the lot in life that I desired for myself. I was happy on a bulldozer. I was happy on a trico. I was happy because most of the time I didn't have to deal with anybody but me, which is a whole other rodeo in itself. But this is not what I desired for my life. A lot of people have asked me, well, Scotty, how is it? How is it that you knew that God desired for you to be a minister? And I'll tell you straight up, because he called me. No, I'm not talking about he picked up my cell phone number, sent me a text, sent a beeper message or anything like that. He called me. Well, how did he do it? For a long time, I struggled. After God had rescued me, sincerely rescued me, rescued me from a life of sin, a life of addiction, I devoted myself and I told God something very dangerous. I told God if he would help me get me out of this situation, I'd do whatever he asked. Be careful what you say. One day we're waiting on the crusades. Most of y'all know the crusades used to come. We used to have crusades here in the county to where we'd bring in evangelists. Um, Jamie Ragel was the evangelist that we had when this was all going on. The crusade had not even started yet and I was assigned a task by our former pastor. Our former pastor gave me a high, noble task. He told me to go to, Mountain, or to the Methodist church and to wait on Her Eddie Heron to get the banner to put up on the road so everybody had nowhere to go. High, noble task, wasn't it? I was content with doing things just like that. I'm content with doing the little things, the behind-the-scenes things, the things that nobody knows about. But I knew with everything in me, but that's not what God desired for me to do. So I'm sitting there waiting on Eddie Heron. And if I ever see him again, I'm going to let him have it for making me wait so long. But I was sitting there waiting on him and I started having a conversation with God. God, I am pretty stupid. I'm pretty ignorant. I'm a very, very simple man. If you want me to do something, you have got to tell me exactly what it is that you want me to do. Well, after I got done praying, I continued to wait and continued to wait and continued to wait. I looked over, picked up my Bible, and I did one of those things, you know, y'all have done it too. God, give me something. Give me something specifically for me. And you expect to open the Bible and see right there what it is, right? Well, I did the same thing. And God landed me in Mark 15. And you know what I found in Mark 15? Absolutely nothing. Zero. But I continued to read, and I continued to read, and I continued to read, and I continued to read to the point of Mark chapter 16, verse 15, where he says 
go into the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. I instantly closed my Bible, threw it in the floorboard, and ignored it like nothing ever happened. That day, I heard God loud and clear. And the reason I'm saying this is because a lot of people think that this doesn't happen. No, this does happen. The problem is most people just don't listen. God is daily calling people into the ministry, whether it be full-time, part-time, or even just being a part of the work of God. But he continually calls people into ministry. But there's a problem with that. The problem is a lot of the people who are called, that is not what they desire for their life. The people of the high priest, it come down by heritage, by who you were born under. And you know, there's a lot of times that I think that some of those kids growing up, they probably thought to themselves, I don't want to be the high priest. I don't want to do this. I want to be a professional golfer. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. And the reason I'm saying this is because a lot of people are being called into ministry, but a lot of people aren't responding to it. There are many men who are being called to be pastors today. And you say, Scotty, how do you know that? Because God said he would. But I also know that there's a lot of people just like me who are throwing their Bible in the floor and ignoring what God told them. Ministers are called. The high priests were called. And brothers and sisters, God is still calling people today. He calls people to salvation. He calls people to the ministry. He calls people to the mission field. But continually, we have this battle within us because we are beset in ourselves with sin. And it's hard. It's hard to surrender your life to something that goes completely against what you want to do with your own life. Just being real with you. The high priest was never voted on by church. The high priest was always selected by God. So while there, yes, there are some similarities to the high priest and a pastor, they are very few. And the similarities, while there are a few of them, they're extremely different. In Leviticus chapter 16, Moses is getting word from God about specifically what these high priests are supposed to do. What their job is. And in Leviticus chapter 16, I'm not going to go through it word by word, but I am going to tell you point blank about what he says. Here's the job assignment that he gives to the high priest. The high priest, one day out of the year, is supposed to go to the tabernacle. And he is supposed to perform his ritual cleansing. Part of his ritual cleansing is he takes a bull. 
He will slaughter this bull. He will take some of the blood from this bull, but then he will burn the rest of the bull. And then he will take this blood and he will go in to the holy place, the most holy place, the holy of holies, whatever you want to call it. And he will present this blood to the altar and pour it on the Ark of the Covenant so that he himself can be forgiven of his sins. Then, after he's done with that, he will present himself before the children of Israel. They will bring two goats, two goats. One of the goats will have to be slaughtered. Why? Because the only remedy for sin is the shedding of blood. So the first goat is killed, slaughtered, and some of its blood's taken. The other goat, his hand is put on it as a symbol of passing on the sin, and the goat is let go. And then that high priest would take that blood and present it again in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant, he would pour it out for the remission of sin. This is what makes a pastor and a high priest extremely different. Because there is nothing that I can do. There is not a thing that I can do that can bring forgiveness to your sin. I can't even sacrifice a bull today to bring forgiveness for my own sin. Nevertheless, can I bring forth a goat, sacrifice it, and bring remission for your sin? Because this was specific. This was specific. This was extremely specific in the time that the children of Israel lived. This was specifically how you dealt with sin. And I want you to think about this. One day a year, one day a year, the Day of Atonement was set in place. For those who want to know, it's October 4th, 2022 this year. It's called Yom Kippur. And it's a day that is celebrated still by many Jews. But this is the day that they make atonement for their sins for the year to come. But you know what gets me about this? Next year, on September 28th, you know what they're going to have to do? They're going to have to do the same thing again. The year after that, I think it's on October 11th that year. You know what they have to do? They have to do that same thing again. And while this was the symptom or system to bring redemption for sins, it was still an incomplete system. Can you imagine every year having to go before this? Can you imagine every year having to deal with this situation of presenting your sins to the high priest and allowing him to present those sins uh, before God and pouring that blood on the altar? Can you imagine yearly wondering if you were good enough? Can you imagine yearly wondering if you measured up? Can you imagine yearly dealing with that same thing of presenting these animals? These animals that you had raised, that you had cared for, that you had cleansed, can you imagine having to present them yearly? 
I don't know about you, but it seems to me like it would have been very frustrating. And you know what's bad is it was only as good. It was only as good as long as the priest was himself good. Because the priest also had to be in good standings with God just to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. I don't know if it's true. A lot of people say that in those days that they would tie a rope around the high priest's waist. Why? Because if he went in there and he wasn't clean, he would drop dead. Aaron is given explicit instructions that this is the only day of the year that you can come before God. And not only that, you can't come before him. Somebody else has to go before him for you. Let me be honest with you. I struggle. I struggle. And it's funny, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday on a text. I struggle daily with whether I measure up to God or not. And you know what? I know I'm not by myself. I know you struggle as well. I know constantly you're thinking about, am I good enough? I know constantly you're thinking about, is what I did back when I I was 18, is that still with me? I know constantly you feel unworthy. You feel like you don't deserve to even talk to God in prayer. And I just want you to know, I get that. And with that in mind, can you imagine how the children of Israel felt? One day a year. One day a year for all your mess-ups. Man, that had to have a week for me. You know what? Never mind. That had to done it daily for me. See, we're always left with that feeling of are we good enough? And you know, that's always been part of the problem. It's always been part of the problem because it's never been about us being good enough. It was always about the one who goes to God for us. When Jesus comes on scene and takes the role of the high priest, I want you to listen to what happens here. Starting in verse 5, we're going to read through verse 10. It says, And so also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks, guys, I promise. But in that day of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. One who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his pity. Although he was... He learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, 
He came to all those who obey him, the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, all those things, all those things that a high priest had to fall in line with, being a person sent by God, Jesus, Himself, the Son of God, was sent to this earth. Being a person who has compassion, countless times we see where Jesus not only mourned, but He cried over situations that He saw. One of the most that I ever seen Jesus do was when he heard about his friend Lazarus dying. What did he do? He wept. He mourned. And I know a lot of people say, well, it's, who knows what he mourned over? No, here's what he mourned over. He mourned over the fact that there was still no final atonement made for sin. And he knew without that final atonement of sin, death still ruled this world. That's why he mourned. He mourned because somebody did die. And he mourned because he did not design people. Jesus did not design people to die. They chose to do it. And they chose to do it from their disobedience. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus had a heart for stupid people. And he has a heart for me. But he also has a heart for you. Not only was he compassionate, there's no doubt. He was absolutely called. He was called here. Have you ever thought about this? The high priest, whenever they were chosen to be the high priest, they were elevated to that position. And that's where we get this whole thing about putting a pastor up on a pedestal. We elevate them to the position. But when Jesus became the high priest, he wasn't elevated, he descended. Think about that for a minute. Even as a high priest, Jesus had to descend from heaven. He had to come from where he was, where there was no sin. He had to come down to take this position. And he did it for you. And he did it for me. And when he did, when he come to assume the role of the high priest, he didn't take the blood of a bull. He didn't take the blood of a goat. He took the blood that flowed through his veins. And presented it to God as an offering, as a sacrifice, not for the sins that He committed, but for the sins that we committed. And the greatest thing about it all, guys, 
what these high priests had practiced for years, Jesus just had to do once. Jesus just had to do once. And the whole thing of him suffering and the whole thing of him presenting his blood is what we're doing right here. When we come together as a body of believers, we come to identify with the body that was broken for us. We come to identify with the blood that was shed for us. And the reason we do it is because this is the only way that we can be presented to God. And the high priest of all high priests, he didn't just do it to where we're good to next year. He did it to where we're good 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. And again, this isn't saying that you can just go on and live life as you want to. Because when we partake in this communion, it is a very serious event. You are identifying with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And like we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, our sin is nothing but another lash against the back of Christ, another nail driven in his hands, another thorn pounded in his skull. Our sin is what killed Jesus. And he did it because he loved us. And that's why Paul says these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. says, For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. You do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took a cup. Also after the supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood. Do this often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge his bodily rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number of you sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned alone with the world.
The reason Jesus is a better high priest is because he fulfilled the covenant which all of us needed. This bread, sure, it's just bread. But as you take this bread and you put it to your lips, I want you to remember that this bread symbolizes the body that was beat, whipped, tortured, and eventually broken for you. As you take this cup and you put it to your lips, I want you to remember that this blood does not symbolize, or this uh, juice does not symbolize the blood of a bull or the blood of a goat. This juice symbolizes the Lord of your Savior, the blood of your Savior who shed it just for you. And that's why we need to examine ourselves. That's why we need to do a personal checkup on who we are and who he is. Because if we do this unworthily, like the scripture says, it's the same as drinking damnation to yourself. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's Supper is not something to be taken lightly. Because we are remembering what he did for us. He did for us what we never could do. And that's why if there's sin in your heart, if there are things in your life that are going on that you know aren't right and that you haven't dealt with, you need to make it right before you come partake of this. If you're not a believer, if you don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, please, don't partake of this. But this morning, for the first time, if you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the high priest who came to give his life for you, who sacrificed it all, not because of the sin of his life, but because of the sin of your life, and you're willing to turn your life over to him, truly repent, you can be saved.